welcome to a new Bombasso episode and some of you might wonder why they are not coming out on Mondays anymore. It's just uh, with La Liga played every day and uh, with uh, work situations for me and Lee, uh, things have changed a little bit since after the, the La Liga break and the Bombasso break. But we're going to figure out a new day for when they are coming out, uh, but you're going to get one episode a week, that is for sure. Anyways, another thing you might be wondering is why Lee's not speaking and why I'm speaking because he's normally the one that's starting this up. And that's because Lee's not with us today. He is off celebrating midsummer because he's become a sweet. Um, but with me instead, I have uh, another really good guest from one of our favorite podcasts, the Spanish Football Podcast, which according to I think both me and Lee is the best when it comes to Spanish football. We have uh, Sid Lowe with us. Welcome. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Uh, how are you? And how has the the La Liga's restart been for you? A, a little bit weird, actually, because it kind of, I, I'd sort of got used to there not being any games. I'd got used to doing lots of football writing, but not actually watching any football. And then, of course, you realise that one of the things that stops you writing about football is the amount of time you spend watching it. Uh, and it's been quite difficult to keep up and quite difficult to kind of get my mind around it and just you know as you've been saying about your difficulties of getting pods out on Monday just the fact that there's games every day and all the time um but it's nice to have some actual games back isn't it yeah it is it's by with work as well you're just suddenly it's so much in so little time but before yeah it was more spread out. So so I'm totally with you on that. Um, so what we do in on Bombasa, obviously, is that we focus a lot on the Scandinavian players in La Liga. We speak everything La Liga, but mainly on the Scandies. Um, and with, C, with Lee having become a Swede somehow, uh, and me turning, me, I'm, I'm turning into Spanish, but I'm, I'm does a that, Swede. Does that part. mean he, has he got dual nationality? He's, he's, he's still Scottish as well, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he's everything, okay. basically, and he speaks every language. So it's, it's very confusing. Um, but he's he's starting to become more more of a Swede than me. I mean, one of us are celebrating Midsummer, and the other one forgot what day it was. So uh, that says a lot. No, yeah. but so the, we've been a little bit afraid though that maybe we get uh, a bit biased uh, towards the Scandi players because we obviously want it to go so well for them. So we see all the good and positive in them, and maybe sometimes on the on the bad. So it's good to have someone uh, a little bit from the outside um, when it comes to the Scandi players and give get a, a good opinion. And, and you're obviously everywhere in Spain going to a lot of games and, and things like that. And our main subject today is going to be uh, Martin Brathwaite, uh, which you interviewed not too long ago, and you've seen him a lot at Leganes. Um, what was that interview like to start with? What, what is he like as a guy? Well, I mean, I, and obviously you two will, will will know this. And in a way, you know, it's it's you say that you two are biased and that it's and it's difficult because you always see the 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 good in the Scandinavian players. But I, I look at the the Scandinavians in La Liga, and I think it's almost impossible not to see the good in them because all of them are very good players. All of them seem to be very likable in terms of their personalities and their their outlooks as well. And 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 in particular, obviously, in, in this case, on on in the case of Martin. Um, I, I I think he's really really interesting company. He's he's very good to hear from. I think he's bright. I think he's ambitious. I think he has um, probably more to offer in footballing terms than than a lot of fans first assumed when he went to Barcelona. But there's no doubt about it. It's an enormous leap for someone who who wasn't playing as often as he would have liked at Middlesbrough to end up at Barcelona. Of course it is. Um, but but I think that overlooks some of the qualities that he's got. And 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 talking to him was as I expected it to be really, really enjoyable. He's, he's open. What he says makes sense. You know, he's believable. I mean, a lot of players say things and you can, you can enjoy talking to them, but, but there, there are elements of what they say that, that, that don't convince. One of the things that I find really interesting with Martin is everything he says 
convinces you. And so even if you look at him in the context of Barcelona in this case, and, and, and of course, look, it's a reality that you look at him in the context of Barcelona. And of course, you ask yourself how much he'll play. Of course, you ask yourself whether whether he has a fit in that team, how often he'll get the opportunity to start, whether it can work with Messi and Suarez, whether he can get a place ahead of Suarez or ahead of Griezmann or even ahead of Ansu Fati. And yet when you listen to him talk, everything he says is so convincing that you kind of finish talking to him and you, you can't help but think, you know what, this guy's going to be at Barcelona for five years. He's going to score 20 goals a season. Um, because he, it's not just that he is convinced, it's that everything he says is rational and makes sense and, and feels like when you listen to him talk, you think, yeah, that's a scenario I can imagine happening. Um, and, and so however ambitious he is, it never fa- it never feels like he's being overambitious. You know, it never feels like he's he's a guy who's kind of trying to convince himself. It sounds like he genuinely is convinced by this. And speaking about that, did you find him to be unusual, thoughtful for a, for a footballer? Because it kind of strikes... Uh, strikes me that he really seems to study the team um, in detail uh, in a way that maybe a lot of players don't do. Yeah, well, I mean that 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 was uh, the thing that most struck me about the first time that I spoke to him when when me and Phil Kitchenmelidis from from the Spanish Football Co- Podcast went to see him when he was at Leganés, and and you know I would expect a player I think who'd gone to Barcelona, particularly a player who'd gone to Barcelona, um, and and that this was a, a, a very significant a very significant leap in level. I would expect that player to talk about analysis and how he can fit with Messi and how he looks at how Barcelona plays and so on. What I think is most striking is that all of those things he said when we went to see him when he was at Leganes. And he talked about joining Leganes because, of course, Leganes first came for him in the summer. Middlesbrough wouldn't let him go. He eventually went to them in the winter. So he'd known for, what is it, three and a half, four months that there was a reasonable chance he would go to Leganes. And he talked to us then about analysing them and about analysing the way in which they play and the kind of chances that that would fall to a striker and the, the positions he could be in. And I remember being struck by that because obviously, look, a talented player who has a chance to go to Leganes, now, of course, an intelligent player will analyse and an intelligent player will think about it. But I, I thought the depth of that was was very striking, the the the, the willingness to to listen, to adapt. Um, and, you know, I remember the, the bit that really struck me about it, we were talking about it and he was talking about the kind of chances that can drop from, from Guido Carrillo in particular. He said, you know, the area around Carrillo, the ball drops, you know where it's going to go. And, and, and I remember saying to him, so, you know, what's the kind of what's the perfect chance from your point of view then? If you're looking at the kind of chances a team can create, what's the perfect chance for you? He said, well, I quite like a tap-in. You know, one yard out, empty empty net. That's that's perfect. And of course, you know, the, the so, so he was able, I think, and, and this is what I quite liked about it, he was able to offer the serious analysis, but but do it in a light-hearted way that, that didn't make it feel kind of heavy going. Um, and, and that was very interesting. And, and I know from, from what's happened at Barcelona so far that the, the coaching staff are extremely impressed with him. You know, the coaching staff are impressed because, you know, this isn't as normal as you might imagine at the top level of football. A lot of players play intuitively. A lot of players play naturally. Uh, and, and they've been struck by, by the depth of analysis from him, by the willingness to, to listen and try and do everything that manager asks him to do, even if it doesn't maybe come naturally to him. And, and I, think, I think that's what is going to mean, first of all, that he'll be liked by the coaches, but secondly, that he'll have a better chance of fitting in because he will do everything that's necessary, necessary to do it. He won't do what a lot of players do, which is turn up, play their game and think, well, if this doesn't work, it's clearly someone else's fault. In Martin's case, I think it's very definitely right. If this doesn't doesn't work, it will be because of me, and I need to do everything I can to make sure to make sure that it does. And if we back up a little bit, you you talked about when he was at Leganes, and obviously you're 
at Butarque more than most people are. So you, you saw him quite a lot there. And we spoke about him quite a lot on the podcast, even even then, of course, because he's a Scandi. And, and we're quite impressed with just how quickly he adapted to Leganes and became such a key player. How, how did you see all of that? Yeah, and I think the other thing that happened was that he he took on a role that wasn't just about himself. So so when he first got there, and, and obviously there's a contradiction here because as I've, as I've said, when we interviewed him, he talked a lot about the the importance of being close to Guido Carrillo. The ball drops, and you know that's where the chance is. But of course, when he got there, he he played the immense majority of his games with with Enesidi, who of course has now gone to to Sevilla. And and actually, I think one of the things that was interesting about that was that he adapted to Enesidi. But you'd had these two incredibly quick, very direct, very dynamic players who could both peel wide or both go through the middle, who could be willing to to wait for a long time in the game for the long ball to get into that space to exploit it. But the other thing that was interesting, I thought about it, was that that, that Martin seemed to take on the role of looking after in the city as well. And I know managers are always careful about what they say, but if you read between the lines, it was very clear from both uh, from both uh, Pellegrino and also indeed from Aguirre, although of course Aguirre wasn't with Ennisiri for very long, that, that there was a sense that Ennisiri was emotionally maybe a little bit immature, that, you know, that he needed protecting, that he needed looking after. And I think it's very clear that while no one would be so presumptuous to, as to say this publicly, and, and certainly Martin wouldn't say it publicly, that he took it upon himself to, OK, I'll play the bigger brother role in this. You know, I'll play the role of looking after him a bit, of, of, of getting through to him. Because in terms of pure talent, Ennisiri is a really, really good footballer. Obviously, the question is whether he can be settled enough uh, and focused enough to, to bring all of that out. And I think Martin... Um, played the role that wasn't just about himself, but it was about trying to get the best out of out of his partner as well. And and speaking as well about how the the signing to Barcelona was a bit controversial. We had a similar situation just happening here now with Nolito signing mm. for for Celta, this emergency signing for a reserve key, goalkeeper. Yeah, the long term injured. Um, that that feels a bit rough against Leganes to take the best player that way. How, how do you see that that rule and um, everything about that? Well, I mean, the, I suppose the good thing uh, and and the way I looked at it is that it, the good thing about it was I think everybody saw that this was unfair. It it seemed so, you know, in a league that's already got significant inequalities you know the difference between the top and the bottom is huge anyway to have something like that I, I and I think the fact that everyone saw it means that that will probably be changed now and I think it's time it was changed um but uh, you know I don't think anyone and by the way this includes at Leganes at Leganes no one blamed Martin at Leganes almost no one blamed Barcelona a few people did but because you know they said well you know your planning should have been better why you know why should we be here for you to come and get him uh they knew of course that the the um buyout clause had to be paid and therefore there was nothing they could do about it but there was no there was no blame attributed to Martin I think there was a recognition this was a wonderful opportunity for him and he had to take it um, but I think it, the, the rule itself was disastrous and I've seen a lot of people say that the rule itself is fine so long as Leganes can then sign someone to replace him with the problem with that of course is that then you go into a spiral so Leganes say let's say for argument's sake Leganes signed someone from Levante so Levante have to sign someone so maybe they go to the second division but they sign someone from Zaragoza who then have to sign someone. So they sign someone from Fuenlabrada. But then, so Fuenlabrada have got to sign someone. So Fuenlabrada come to Real Oviedo and take our best player off us and we go down. So somewhere along the line, so everyone gets hurt. So so I, I think it's right. For me, the problem isn't that, that Leganes couldn't then sign. The problem is that Barcelona were allowed to in these circumstances. Now, of course, there would have been a slight difference, which is that Leganes would have signed and probably not done it with a buyout clause. And so therefore not, you know, not force the club to sell someone they didn't want to sell. I guess one way you could modify that rule is to say, if you buy a player 
out of a transfer window because of an emergency rule, you are not allowed to do it via the buyout clause. In other words, you can only buy it off a club who's prepared to sell it to you. That said, by the way, and it probably is worth making this point, when I went to see Aguirre not so long ago, just before, well, I say not long ago, it's a long time ago now, before, just before the lockdown, I was talking to Aguirre in the press room at, at Leganes and, uh, and Chema Indias came in, who's the sporting director at, um, uh, at Leganes, and Aguirre was joking with him. But there was a serious point here as well. He was saying, you know, this guy's a genius. This is the guy that bought Braithwaite and then Nisiri for a total of about six million. And he's just got 38 million euros for these two guys. So I suppose at institutional level, this was still a great deal for Leganes. But of course, that institutional level is no good at all if you go down because you've sold your best two players. And of course, I hate to say it, but they probably will go down. And, and you know, a good example of that is the other night at the Camp Nou. So you've got Barcelona against Leganes at the Camp Nou. And in the Barcelona squad, there are more Leganes goals than there are in the Leganes squad. And, you know, you just think, well, that can't be right. Yeah, and I, I saw someone pointing out as well, which I thought was quite interesting with the, the Nolito signing for Celta now, that Celta could basically, what if they had decided to to take a, a striker from another team in the relegation battle who had a, a striker who's been like the key for them and yes, ta- they, then they would basically take them out of the race. And, and that is... Exactly, it's completely unfair. And, and I think with relegation teams, the impact is greater, but I think the media impact would be greater at the top end of the table. So imagine that Barcelona had been given the choice, uh, had been given the chance, to, which they were, to sign him an emergency player by paying about buyout clause. They're going head-to-head with Real Madrid in the league title race. Imagine they turned up at the Bernabeu and said, um, what's Karim Benzema's buyout clause? Boom, here you go. And whether they need him or not, you screw the other team up. Now, obviously, you know, that's not likely to happen because of, of the size of the price. But, but of course, structurally that could happen and it and it's very very and, it, and it, very unfair and you're right yeah Celta could have looked around and thought to themselves right so the teams we need to make sure they for example look at the league table and think to themselves we need to make sure that Espanyol can't reach us so we go and buy r.d.t. or we say well we need to make sure that Mallorca can't, can't reach us they go inside Budimir for example who's got what is it nine of Mallorca's 25 goals or whatever it is and so yeah I think it's just a, it's a system that's open to so much abuse and I think it's desperately unfair, yeah. Yeah. And looking at the uh, Brathwaite signing to to Barcelona, a lot of people were kind of laughing at it when it was presented. I remember we we were talking about it a lot on, on this podcast and, and actually thinking that actually if you look at it, this might be a good uh, good signing for, for Barcelona and it might be useful. Again, we might have been a little bit biased because we just wanted it to be a really good signing. But looking at how it's gone, um, both me and Lee were at uh, at Camp Nou for the game against Real Sociedad, where I personally think that Berthwaite was one of the key reasons for Barcelona to to win that game. And mm-hmm. he has just linked up with Messi really, really well. Is, w- what is your view as, on, on this? Is, is this our, us being biased that he's so useful for them? Um, or is, is he really... Well, I mean, I, I think I might be biased as well because you know the first part, the first time I wrote a piece about this, uh, you know that idea that because obviously what happens, of course, as, as as writers sometimes is you listen to the reaction of people, and you, you you kind of get to the point where you think, well, that's a little bit unfair. So you start to you start to kind of think about the counter argument, and of course, the counter argument sometimes just the fact that some people are saying one thing can be enough to lead you in another direction, which doesn't always mean you're right, um, even if they're not entirely right either. But it it had also been built on when I wrote a piece about how I thought he could be useful for Barcelona. It had also been built on the fact that I'd seen him when we were at Leganes, and I was so impressed by him. And as I said earlier on, he's so convincing that listening to him, I could feel myself thinking, yeah, this could work. 
And it wasn't necessarily because of a, a detailed analysis of watching him play, although I'd liked everything I'd seen of him at Leganes. Um, but it was also about listening to him and knowing about that adaptability. The other thing is um, that I think you're right as well. It's about how useful you can be. And so you can get better players who aren't useful, who don't fit, who don't work. And what we're seeing with Braithwaite is he's got, I think, some of the qualities that work at Barcelona. I think his technical ability is much better than people gave him credit for. So he can play in tight spaces. But he also has some of the things that Barcelona don't have. You know, the ability to stretch a defence. If he plays on the left-hand side, he'll stay on the left-hand side. He won't be drifting in and getting in Messi's way. He he won't demand the ball in, in positions where he shouldn't be demanding the ball. He'll play the simple pass. And as I said before, you know, Barcelona's coaches have been really, really impressed with him because he has been the one saying, tell me how to make this run. Explain to me where you want me to be. And, and, and then going onto the pitch and trying to put that into practice precisely, exactly as it works. And, 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 me, and um, me and a colleague, of course, you know, Pete Jensen, were speaking to um, Gus Poyet about him. And Gus Poyet, of course, had been his manager in France. And, and he said that there was a day when, when Martin came to see him. And, and I was impressed by this as well. And it fits with this whole idea that Martin came to see him and, and basically said, look, I'm not getting the ball and I'm making the right runs, or at least I think I'm making the right runs. So tell me what I'm doing wrong with these runs. And, and the way that Poyet tells, tells a story, they sat down and they went through videos together, which, by the way, speaks very highly of Poyet as well, not just of Braithwaite, because a lot of managers would have said, mate, go and sort it out. But the two of them sat down, they watched videos together, and they analysed these videos, and they reached the, the, the conclusion that there wasn't a huge amount wrong with the runs. There was just a little bit of the timing. And it was about it was as much about the, if you like, the kind of the, the communication between the, the players as it was about the positional side of the game. And so one of Poyet's solutions was to basically be better friends, to spend more time together in, in, in dining rooms, eating, to speak more on, on, on when they were traveling, to go to games and stuff. And that bit by bit, these kind of intangible things, but even that, which you're asking a player basically to be friends with someone who maybe he wasn't naturally going to be friends with, or maybe he doesn't have a huge amount of common in, but that, that, that Braithwaite took those ideas on as well. Um, and so I think that just tells you something about adaptability. I think it tells you something about, about ambition. And I think when you go to a club like Barcelona, of course, the ambition is going to be there. But I think the adaptability isn't always. And I, I think what Braithwaite will do, I think, will be useful. And I think useful is, is such an underrated word. And I think it will be really useful for Barcelona. I mean, look, go back at, and look at Barcelona's best forward lines over the last 20 years. And you would probably say the best one is the one that's got Pedro in it. And yet, in terms of individual talent, I think there's no doubt that Pedro is the worst forward they've had of, of you know, he's probably, he's probably what, 10th or 11th on the list if you put, did a list of the best Barcelona forwards. And I really like Pedro. And I think he has a lot of more talent than, than we give him credit for, a lot more talent than even I give him credit for. But the fundamental thing that Pedro did was make the right moves, occupy the right space, um, assist the right players. And I don't mean assist in terms of giving them the pass for the goal. I mean, assist them in terms of, allowing the structure to be correct so that everything functions. And and funny enough, today I was watching for, for our podcast, I was watching back the 5-0 Barcelona against against Real Madrid. And in the first 25 minutes or so, the the one thing that I think I'd forgotten that I came away with and thought, wow, I'm really impressed was Pedro. And it wasn't because he did anything amazing. It was just because he was always exactly where he should be. And I think I think Martin might give Barcelona some of those qualities. I feel like you you can see a little bit of Messi as well in his reactions uh, towards Berthwaite that he kind of accepted of him much quicker than than you will see him with, with other players and I, I personally think that comes from just feeling that that he could use uh, use him Martin in 
in many things just to in in the way he himself played and didn't see him as an obstacle or, or anything like that yeah absolutely and, and and it comes back to that word again of being useful i think you're right Messi looks at him and thinks right this guy can be useful he he may not be as good as griezmann uh, he may not be as good as well as good as dembele but he can be useful he can do the things that work that i can play off him um and, and i also suspect that there might be there might be something in Messi about personality as well that Messi I think Messi is a curious case because I think we we've all seen that even though Messi probably doesn't say this explicitly everybody plays to Messi you know everybody plays to Messi and, and, and Messi dominates even if he's not the one if even if he's not actually there saying right you must do this you must do that he dominates in the sense that he conditions the game um, but I think the other thing is that Messi, although he dominates, he doesn't want people, and he said this explicitly to Neymar once, he doesn't want people to be saying, oh, you're great, you're great, you're great all the time. He wants people to get on and do the job. You know, no pissing about, do the job. And I think that while Braithwaite has publicly, of course, said, you know, Messi is the god of football and he said he wasn't going to wash his shirt after he'd embraced him after, after the assist on the debut. But I actually think in terms of the way that he plays, there isn't any pissing about like that. So, right, do the job and do it well. Yeah, and uh, so move on. Moving on a little bit to some other Scandinavians that we talk very frequently on uh, about here is the Real Sociedad duo uh, of Martin Odegaard and Alexander Isak. And uh, to start with, with with Odegaard, um, how do you see him as a player? How, how, what is his potential really? Does he have the potential to become one of the best La Liga players in the league? Well, I think this season he's already the best La Liga player behind Messi. I mean, Messi is never really in the equation, is he? But I think of the, of the if you like, of the normal La Liga players, I genuinely think there's a there's a case this year to say that that, that Erdegaard has been the best player in Spain. I think Erdegaard, perhaps, and Casemiro, maybe Fede Valverde, the the outstanding, certainly the outstanding midfielders this year. I think he's been absolutely brilliant. I think I, I think he's been brilliant. And look, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know very much about him. You know, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to have watched him when he was in Holland. You know, I didn't see a huge amount of him even when he was at, at Real Madrid Castilla, although I saw a little bit more because he was in Spain. Um, and and I've been really, really impressed by him this year. But I've been impressed by him in every single way. The talent, um, the physicality, because he gets through a huge amount of running in every game. He covers a lot of the pitch in a team that's very kind of dynamic. It's a technically very strong team, or else I think that, but I think they're a very dynamic team as well. And they really go for you. Uh, one of the things that really struck me early in the season, I saw them against Betis, was that just as like a little, if you like, a little illustration of what they're like, every time there was a free kick, they put the ball down, took it and carried on. They never waited for everyone to go up. They never put the ball in the box. It's right, get it down, play, play, bam, 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 bam. And everything was done with this kind of, almost this kind of childlike enthusiasm and a speed and a dynamism. And that's one of the things that I've really noticed about him because obviously I expected the technical quality. I probably didn't expect the toughness, the directness, the, the the athleticism. And then the other thing that's really impressed me about him, which obviously I don't know if this will happen when he goes back to Real Madrid, is the degree of leadership that he's shown. You watch Real Sociedad play and they depend on him. You know, he takes responsibility for almost every pass. He takes responsibility for the moves. And yet that taking responsibility doesn't mean give it to me and I'll dribble around five players. It might mean give it to me and I'll give it straight back. But I'll give it back in a better position and I will improve. One of the things that happens with Erdogan, I think, is that the move improves every time he touches the ball. Every time there's a movement and it comes to him, the next stage of the move is better than the last stage. You know, the, the, either the positioning is clearer or they've got a bit more space to play the ball with or they've advanced up the pitch a little bit more. Um, he plays an incisive pass very well. He plays risky passes very well, but also plays continuity passes well. He moves the ball around without necessarily needing to, to you know, to cut open a defence. I, I think he's been absolutely brilliant. I, I have some doubts 
when it comes to going to Real Madrid, which are not really about him. They're about the structure around him. They're about what position does he play in? Because, of course, this season we've seen him sort of playing as the other striker. But he's not really. He's all over the pitch. And I naturally see him as one of the three in midfield, as a kind of Modric-style position. But then there is a question mark there, which is, will that work? Does he need that little bit of extra freedom? Does he need maybe a three-man midfield behind him and allow him to be the one that has has the ability to go and play as a 10 or play as an 8 or play as an 11? Um, but I, I think he's been absolutely fabulous this year. And, and, and by the way, he's a lot of fun to watch as well. And I, you know, there's a lot to be said for this. And we, we, you know, we sometimes when we analyze players, we get all serious. And there's a bit of me that thinks, you know, forget the seriousness. Tell me who you like watching. And in La Liga this year, with the possible exception of Santi Cazorla, there is no one I like watching more than Erdegaard. I don't think. Yeah, you touch a little bit on on one thing that I like highlighting about Erdegaard, which is the the leadership thing. Um, I think I think he's very extremely mature for his age um Isaac as well when we get to him later but one thing that for me stood up with with him in Real Sociedad is that I felt that when Sabi Prieto left that Real Sociedad team missed someone to lead them they had Iramande as captain but he wasn't really uh, managing to do that like Sabi Prieto had done and I feel like often that they had really good players but they were so young and they were didn't really have anyone who, who was showing the way. And then when, when Adegaard came into the team, he kind of took on that leadership role uh, a little bit on the pitch, which I didn't expect him him to do because he's as young or younger than most of them. Yeah. Uh, and that for me has really been impressive. I mean, I don't know if I expected it uh, to happen. I suppose I probably didn't because, as you say, because he's young and because he's going to a new team. Uh, and he's going to a new team in a new league as well. So he's going to a new team where no one knows if he's good. And in fact, where players might well think to themselves, oh, this is the guy from Real Madrid, so he probably loves himself. You know, this is a guy who, who, who was a superstar. And, and I think the opposite has happened. But I also think that, that part of his leadership is actually about being a great player and knowing he's a great player, if you see what I mean, in that he takes leadership partly because he has the confidence to do that. He has the trust in his own ability to, as I say, to demand the ball, to want possession, to, 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 to say to players, give it to me and I'll improve this. And, and then you come to the, the maturity thing. And, and obviously, you know, on the face of it, he's very young um, and you say maybe not. But then I suppose he's also someone who joined Real Madrid at 16. So he's been a Real Madrid player for nearly four years. And maybe it's, in fact, maybe it is even four years. I've completely lost track of time now. Um, but but, but and I, I think even when he came to Real Madrid, there was, a, there was a security about him, which maybe was about his father, not about him. And I remember feeling really... I'll be honest with you, I felt uneasy when he joined Real Madrid and they had this big presentation because he was a 16-year-old kid. And, I, and I, even then I thought, this is too much. And there was pressure, for example, put on Carlo Ancelotti to play him because Florentino wanted him to break the record as the youngest player in La Liga. He was promised a place in the Castilla team that maybe some of his teammates thought he didn't deserve. At the same time, he was training with the Real Madrid first team. And I remember those stories that said... He's training with the Real Madrid first team, but playing with the Castilla team. This isn't right. And they think he's not integrated in the team because he doesn't train with them. Well, this, he should he should go and he should, um, you know, he should go and he should go and train with the B team. But I felt like he was right to say, well, no, I'm staying in the first team. Because, of course, that was one of the reasons he went to Real Madrid, because he had that promise. And that promise was in his contract. So I think he was entitled to not necessarily demand that, but to say, well, look, this is what you said to me. Um, and, and, you know, Real Madrid worked so hard to convince him based at least in part on the things that they said, which is first team training, second team regular football. And that was the fundamental basis of, of why he went to Real Madrid, because he could have both those things. And so I think he was more than entitled 
to stick to his guns on that. And maybe that showed us then that there was a determination and a maturity and a, a maturity seen as ambition as much as anything else, if you sort of mean, to, to say, actually, yeah, I'm old enough to take this on, or at least I'm strong enough as a personality to take this on. And one last thing on Adegard before we move on. After the the break we've had now, it doesn't feel like he's been reaching the same level or he hasn't reached the same level against the, the last two matches now against Osasuna and Alavez. Um, is that some terms of concern? He almost feels like one of the players who've been affected the most by, by this break, looking at the, how he's playing. Yeah, I mean, I honestly don't know because I, I think it's still quite early. I've been very, very disappointed, as you can probably imagine. I've been very, very disappointed by how Real Sociedad have played in these two games since they came back. I, I, I think it, it is a surprise because I must admit, you know, and, and, and this was partly guesswork and everything we've been saying for the last 12 weeks has been partly guesswork. We thought, well, a young and a dynamic team and, and a young and dynamic team that's not dynamic in the sense of being huge, big athletes. You know, they're not, they haven't got the physique of a Sergio Ramos. They're not dynamic in that sense. They're, they're light, they're quick, they're agile. You kind of felt like, well, they should come back in good shape. You know, it shouldn't be hard for them to get up and running. And these two games have suggested that maybe it is, although, of course, they play Real Madrid at the weekend, so who knows what happens mm. then. Um, so I don't know if I would necessarily call it concern, um, but because I think it's a bit early to say that. But then, of course, in a way, I say it's early, but the season will be over before we know it. Uh, and if they don't get a Champions League place, that will feel like a big disappointment. But I think with Erdegaard, in terms of his development, not necessarily what happens to Real Sociedad now, but I think in terms of his development, I just don't think we need to worry because I think the question, the, 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 you know, the, 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 everything about Erdegaard is much broader than just what happens this season. In fact, I think a much bigger question is what happens to him at the end of the season? Does he go back to Real Madrid? And if so, and this would be my biggest concern with Erdegaard, is if he goes back to Real Madrid, do they truly have a clear plan for how to use him? Because I don't want him, I'll be honest, I don't want him to go back if it's not to have continuity. I want him to be where next year for him to be wherever it is that he can play every week. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree with that. And from what it sounds on him, at least, it seems like he wants to stay at La Real. So well, this really comes back to the leadership question and the maturity question. Um, and I think it shows maturity and intelligence. And I think it shows a willingness to see the long game, not the short term game. Um, the fact that he doesn't want to. You know, the fact that he doesn't want to and he's prepared to say to Real Madrid, now let's see whether he's prepared to fight if Real Madrid do say, come back. Because we don't know that and it must be a very, very difficult situation to be in. But it does seem that he's clear enough in his own mind that he's not doing the obvious thing, which is say, what, Real Madrid want me? Definitely. You know, that he's he's aware that there's a development to follow before he goes back. And I think that in itself speaks very highly of him. And uh, to move on to, to his teammate, who I think has quite a few things that are quite similar because uh, Alexander Isak also was very close to signing with Real Madrid at 16 or 17, I'm forgetting it now, uh, but went to Dortmund instead. And, and he also feels very, very mature for his age. How, how is your view on, on Alexander Isak and have you been surprised by what you've seen this season? I've been surprised by what we saw in the kind of middle back end of what was the season before, if you see what I mean. You know, so, so, so obviously he didn't play a huge amount to start with because of William Jose. Then he went on that incredible hot uh, streak, which included the, the Copa del Rey game against Real Madrid, where he was absolutely brilliant. Um, the thing that really struck me, actually, I was at the Bernabeu for that game. And in the first half, I think it's in the first half, he misses a really good chance. And then I think he misses, a, if I remember rightly, I know it's possible I've remembered this wrong, so apologies if that's the case. And then if I remember rightly, he misses a second really quite good chance as well. Yeah, and I think I think that's great. I think you told me at half time that, that I needed to, to make my guy score goals. Exactly. And, and I remember thinking at half time, you know, young players, when they go to the Bernabeu and they miss a couple of chances, 
it normally, you know, the, it, it, it normally kind of, they sort of take a step back. There's a, there's a nervousness about him. And then when he finishes that chance in the second half, it's a brilliant finish. And then there's a cockiness about him after that. And you think, okay, all right. So there's no way that he was worried about those missed Because genuinely, you know, a, a young player at the Bernabeu misses a couple of chances. Normally, you don't get another chance. And if you do, if you've missed a couple, you tend to miss more because there's a, there's a nervousness. And, and I think the thing that most impressed me about him that night was that, was that. And you, you have to have this, that, that, that touch of um, confidence bordering on, bordering on arrogance, that, that awareness that you are talented and that you can do damage to teams and then of course he had that run of being really really brilliant for what was it five six games um around that and and I think as well he was of course benefited by the fact that William Jose tried to leave in the winter window that that gave him the opportunities that he hadn't had before and I think I I feel with him the question mark again might be continuity you know play every week play every game and and he's got he's got a very unusual body shape for a striker um but 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 I really like him there's a there's a it's a it's a weird contradiction, this, but there's a sort of a clumsiness about him at the same time as there's a real elegance about him. So he uses the ball in a really elegant way, but you sort of watch him run and you think he shouldn't be as elegant as that. Um, and 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 I've uh, what I've seen of him this year, I've, I've I've really enjoyed watching him play. I also think it's helped him quite a lot that the way Imanol has been using him before he was a starter, that he still got so many minutes mm. in each game. I think that the sub was normally done at sixty minutes with him and Villa Jose just. Helped him, I, I think, to adapt quicker to Real Sociedad and to Spanish football than would he be sitting on the bench and then getting 10 minutes or five minutes here and there. Yeah, and I think also, and that that kind of ties in with the fact that, of course, Imanol is a, is a manager whose who's focus is very significantly rooted in development, uh, young players, bringing them through. And, and, and I've been very interested when I saw, which game was it? Um, it might even have been that Betis game, but I've got a feeling it wasn't, but it might have been that Betis game. And and, and I raised this question with him about the, the fact that, you know, I watch your team play and it feels to me like they really enjoy it. You know, it feels to me like they at the end of every game, they don't want it to end because they're still playing and it's, and it's just very natural and very fun and very flowing. And actually his answer was kind of in the completely opposite direction. It's like serious, discipline. Uh, I don't want anyone messing around. I don't want anyone thinking this is fun. And, and I thought what we saw there was was this is someone who is encouraging his players to enjoy it in terms of how they play, but doesn't want them to fall into the trap of thinking that because this is fun, everything about it is fun. And, and I, I suspect that he has, while he comes across as being very softly spoken and very quiet, he has a degree of authority, certainly with the young players, that maybe other managers haven't had at Real Sociedad. I think for what it's worth, I think he wouldn't have it at another club. But I think at Real Sociedad, he probably does. Uh, and I think he does now. And he wouldn't have had in previous occasions because I think on previous occasions, people knew that he was coming in as manager and wasn't going to stay there. This time, people know he's going to stay there. And, and I think that's that's probably very good news for, for Isak because I think it feels like he's a manager who understands that this is a kind of a programme of collective development. Of course, the risk is if Erdogan goes in the summer, if Oyarzabal goes, which I don't think is impossible because, of course, Man City will come back because they've already been for him once before. You know, if Isak was even to go, if there was a big offer for him, then, then of course, things collapse for, for Real Sociedad. And, and those three players, three very young players, would find themselves in a very different different scenario. But, but, but yeah, I, I think the, the early signs of Isak, while I'm not as enthusiastic about him as I am with Erdegaard, because I think Erdegaard is genuinely off the scale special. Uh, I think he is proper, proper. You know, this is a guy that's going to be one of the best 10 players in the world, maybe even the best five or six. Um, but with, with Isak, I don't see it at quite that level, but I'm certainly quite excited about him. 
And um, to to end on on Isak, how how good do you think he can be, and how, how good can he be in La Liga? Well, yeah, I, I suppose in a way that's what I mean. I don't really know. As I say, I mean, you, I I look at Erdegaard and I see so much that I think, yeah, this guy is going to be, you know, just unreal. I mean, I think he already is unreal. With Isak, I see, you know, you see those that that runner games. You think, wow, he's very special. But then you wonder about the step into a different team. You wonder about the physicality. You wonder about the, the the slight inconsistencies, which, by the way, I think are inevitable when you're talking about a striker because a striker can't go and look for the ball in the way that someone like Erdegaard can't. Can't force himself on the game in quite the same way because, of course, he relies on 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 supply from from other players. Um, so I have I have more doubts of him, but I, I think he is a player that I hate to say it, but I think he's a player that we're probably going to end up seeing in the Premier League at some point. But it has to be fair to say that Real Sociedad is probably the best spot for both of these players to at be at the moment. Uh, right yeah, now, yeah, I think it's a very, very good place for both of them. I really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and as a last question to you, um, that's Lee had me force me that I have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> In historically, who is your favorite Scandinavian La Liga player? I mean, it would be too easy to say Zlatan, and it actually wouldn't be true because while I think he's amazing, it, you know, it was only one season. And by the way, I think Zlatan was much, much better at, at Barcelona than people remember. I think it's just that you know, towards the end, the, the the breakdown of the relationship with Guardiola, the sense that he couldn't fit with Messi. But I think for those first five or six months, I thought he was really, really good. Uh, I mean, he's you know, we know he's a brilliant player, but I think he was better than 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 the historical memory would have people believe. Um, so my favorite Scandinavian player of all time. I think it's got to be Henke Larsson, hasn't it? That's such a good answer. <laughs> that's that's yeah. I think it's probably got to be Larsson. I, I totally agree. Lee was sure that you were going to say Gravison. Oh well, you see, <laughs> you see, Gravison is brilliant for all sorts of uh, all sorts of reasons. Um, but but uh, but yeah, it. But yeah, I did love. I mean, I remember Thomas Gravison saying. Uh, remember that Thomas, Thomas Gravison at Everton used to play with Lee Carsley, uh, and Lee Carsley actually played further back than him, and they were two midfielders two bald very very pale midfielders albeit Thomas was bigger than Lee Carsley and uh, and Real Madrid signed Thomas Gravison effectively as a deep midfielder whereas really and truly he was someone who you bomb beyond the forwards and score goals and stuff and I remember him saying and I think he was joking but I wonder if deep down he thought there was some truth in it he said no I think they got the wrong guy I think they were trying to sign Lee Carsley and they, they signed me by mistake and he was he was a great character and I, I really enjoyed speaking to him and he was totally nuts Um, and I've got a pair of his shorts somewhere, which he he gave me. Me and me and me and me and me and a friend were playing in a football team that had needed white shorts, and I don't know why it happened, but we were at the training ground on the day that we'd agreed that we were going to play for this. It was only like a Monday night team kicking around seven aside, and they said, "Right, you just got to get white shorts." And we were sitting there, we were standing there, and me and Eric were talking about when Thomas came through. And I don't know why it came up in conversation, but it did. And the next day, he came down with a pair of shorts for both of us. So, uh, so I'm the proud owner of Thomas Gravison's shorts. That's amazing. Uh, well, we can finish off with uh, quick thoughts on Daniel Vas and Piona Sisto, which are the Scandinavians we have not covered today. Well, the Piona Sisto thing, I find—I mean, I don't know enough about him personally, but the, it, it does sound like he's um, very much his own man, um, very, very much in his own world, and that actually it, it feels like—and and, you know, you you follow Celta much more closely than me and, and certainly the Scandinavian players, so you'll probably have a better idea than me on this. But it feels like he's the kind of person that everyone likes, but they do think he's a little odd, that he doesn't necessarily, you know, with the, the story about driving all the way back to Denmark, the the, the story of, 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 of eating nothing but fruit, the the fact that he talks sometimes about kind of mental well-being, but mental well-being not in a 
kind of convince yourself athletic sort of way, but more in a kind of almost, almost like he, like he, I think like he takes uh, too seriously people that he probably shouldn't take seriously um, at, at times. But I think he's a very nice player. And I think when he's on form, I think he's really important. I think he does something different at Celta as well, because while, you know, as you know, Barry Aspas is, is, is a favourite of mine. I think he's absolutely brilliant. But 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 Pioni helps him, I think, because he opens the pitch out. He makes the game a bit 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 more stretch. He's a little bit more direct. He's very, very quick. He's prepared to shoot from around the edge of the area. And I, and I think he's he's potentially very useful for them, particularly in this in this fight against relegation, if they can get him fitted in with it. And then, of course, we saw that that time earlier in the season when Oscar Garcia confronted him and, and clearly something wasn't right there. Um, as for Daniel Vass, you know, the thing I've, 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 I've really started to like about Daniel Vass is, is his apparent ability, and not just ability, but willingness to play in a position that absolutely isn't his, that I imagine deep down he absolutely doesn't want to play in and actually play really well there. Um, and, and so that's the thing that, 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 that sticks with me. And I think he's one of those players who's reliable. He's one of those players who, who doesn't waste a pass, doesn't make bad decisions, does everything well. Yeah, may not be an ultra, ultra talent, but I, I think he's a really, really useful player. And, and I actually think he's a player who, who possibly could have could and maybe should have an even bigger role than, than he has. Speaking of, of that with Daniel Vass and, and playing out of position, um, I talked, interviewed him when he was playing here at Celta uh, ahead of an international match between Denmark and, and Sweden. And it surprised me because he was very, very honest about how much he was against the fact that they had made him into a right back in the Danish national team while he, he was much better as a midfielder and that in, in Denmark they had a really good player in the right back position. So by making him into right back, he basically never got to play while in, in La Liga he was playing for Celta, who was very good at that time and, and were the, the main guy in, in the midfield and controlling everything that Celta did. So it was quite, quite a rare, ran weird uh, moment. And it was quite interesting for him to, to be so open about it and being so against being in that position. And now he's playing in that position again. But that was all for uh, Bombazo this week. And uh, we thank Sid um, for, for taking his time to, to be a part of this episode. Um, and as always, when finishing this, uh, this podcast, uh, we say adios. Adios.